0: Also, my health, right? In terms of just pursuing health as I've gotten older, Mm -hmm. As, as a lifelong athlete, I've found that that has benefited me tremendously, both mentally and physically. And so, I think of exercise as medicine, and movement as medicine.
1: Hello and welcome to an episode of Skin Skinfessions, Confessions of an Esthetician. I am Amber Moon, your host, and I am so excited to present to you Ian Ramsey. We'll do a quick bio on Mr. Ramsey, and I would like to talk a little bit about strength training today with him, and I'll explain how I know him, and he can talk a little bit more about himself, But first and foremost, um, I would like to introduce him as um, the head athletic trainer and strength and training coach at Skyview Academy. I actually know him from his past uh, life and his past experience as a strength and conditioning coach. He was my coach for many years um, and most of the work that I do now in my strength and um, home programs for workouts all come from some root of what Ian has uh, mentioned to me or encouraged in me. And I'm super grateful for that. He also is a lifelong athlete, and I would love for Ian to touch on some of the things that he currently is doing and things he's done in the past as well. So Ian, can you tell me a little bit about your athletic training for me, please, and and how that is different than just like a personal trainer or coach?
0: Sure. Hello, everybody. My name is Ian. I'm happy to be here. Amber, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, professionally, there is a big difference between an athletic trainer and a personal trainer. So a personal trainer is someone you would go to a gym to work with to teach you exercises or programs and give you workouts. Um, An athletic trainer is a formal title for someone who works in sports medicine. So as an athletic trainer, I work at a high school, as you mentioned, Skyview Academy, and I work with the athletes there and help them with their injuries. So my scope goes from emergency response on the field. If an athlete goes down, I'm the one who runs out there on the field and sees how they're doing. And then I can evaluate them to see how the seriousness of their injury or the nature of their injury and then come up with a plan to get them back to playing sports. So if you've ever watched a football game or a soccer game and there's an injury and the medical staff runs out on the field, they're athletic trainers. That's that's what I do. Yeah.
1: I think that's great. And I remember while you were coaching me that you were going to school for that as well. And the schooling is very robust.
0: Yes, it's quite intense. It's a a professional degree, so to become an athletic trainer uh, you do have to go to a school that is accredited to teach the subject and you're preparing to take a board exam. So um, when I graduated from the program at Metropolitan State University here in Denver, uh, I then sat took a board exam which allowed me to become nationally certified as an athletic trainer. And then I acquired a state licensure to practice athletic training in the state of Colorado.
1: That is great, and I'm sure that was nerve-wracking.
2: It was, yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. Taking those board exams is pretty intense, yeah. Yeah.
1: And could you explain outside of school, or maybe this is part of the schooling as well, what kind of philosophy do you have for training, and what does that look like?
0: Yeah, so you mentioned that I'm a lifelong athlete, Mm -hmm. and that certainly has informed me as an adult now uh, in my 50s, and um, also my health, right, in terms of just pursuing health as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. As, As a lifelong athlete, I've found that that has benefited me tremendously, both mentally and physically. And so I think of exercise as medicine, and movement as medicine. And so, going into athletic training or sports medicine, that's how I look at it. Sports medicine is a great description, a t- great two word description of my philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Exercise is medicine. And so, my goal is to not only teach people how to use exercise as medicine, but also to keep them uh, exercising when maybe they get hurt. So that's uh, that's a big part of it. And, and, and working with kids, that's a huge part of it, right? I mean, when you're a teenager, exercise is m- maybe the best antidepressant out there. And when kids get hurt playing their sports, that can be a big challenge for them. And so that's one of my big goals is to keep them participating as much as possible.
1: Yeah. And one of the reasons why you will never be able to get rid of me as a friend <laughs> <laughs> um, is because you helped me unbelievably you and dr kite um chiropractor dr kite helped me recover from a herniated disc and and have helped me prepare for how do i continue my training and not re-injure myself and then what what are the things that i can do that really are simple techniques Um, simple but not easy sometimes sometimes
0: adding yes Routine, Simple but not
1: easy yes. Dan John yes. <laughs> I very much appreciate that and I think that's the mentality that I see in, in many people is oh look I have hurt myself so I'm just going to stop and what are the tools are there things that you find that are that would help people on a regular basis say hey maybe you have an injury let's look at doing this instead of stopping
0: yeah. Um, this is this is this gets right to the crux of the matter, right? Yeah. Um a lot of times people will experience an injury mm-hmm. and then go through a, an extensive course of seeing physicians and working through physical therapy and then find that they maybe didn't resolve their pain. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the research on corrective exercise versus just standard exercise, there isn't a lot of research that supports the use of corrective exercise to treat injuries and pain. And what I mean by that is this, that if you look at studies that compare corrective exercise to sort of general exercise, there really isn't a difference in outcomes in terms of managing pain and injuries.
2: And so to answer
0: your question, my suggestion is this, and that is getting started on a simple strength training program. Yeah. We can talk about what that means uh, in a minute, but and being consistent with it from here on is really the best way to not only manage your pain, but to prevent it from reoccurring.
2: Mm-hmm. And if
0: we think about what you what you did when when you herniated your disc, we really didn't change what you were doing too much. You were still deadlifting, Mm -hmm. right? Even with a herniated disc. Mm -hmm. It it, it wasn't, we really didn't do a lot of different things. It was still standard strength training exercises. We just backed off the intensity
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and so that it wasn't exacerbating your injury Mm -hmm. and just gradually reintroduced load. And look at the results. And it did
1: feel like it was forever, and in the grand yes. scheme of it, it was really only 10 months. And to go from um, excruciating pain, and in, in the industry that I'm in, I lean forward, and I'm sitting, and I'm in a really awkward position most of the day, I would have tears running down my face. Yeah, I remember. Oh, it was rough. And I missed doing the workouts at the gym, but I would come in three days a week, consistently yeah. and do those those movements, the deadlift, the pull-up and then the um, li- landmine press because you and Dr. Kite helped me kind of program yeah. that that didn't cause more issue Right. so I you're right, there weren't m- many changes and it, I like what you said about finding a simple strength training program, not just for the the, the strength component of it, but also f- as a maintenance program is kind of what I'm hearing you say.
0: Well, so I'm sure many of you have heard this saying, right? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Uh-huh. The next best time to plant a tree is today. Uh-huh. And this is, this is what I'm talking about. How long does it take for a tree to grow into being strong and durable? A long time. And sometimes you can't even see the change, right? It yep. takes so long. This is what strength training is about it's not just about maintenance it's about continuing to try to get stronger and stronger Mm -hmm. and i think the brett there's a strength coach named brett jones who talks about strength as a cup this cup is your capacity how strong you are this cup is all of the things you can do Mm
2: -hmm.
0: all of the things you want to be able to do you pour into that cup And if you put more things in the cup than the cup can hold, you get injured or you create overtraining stress or you create some other kind of stress that causes a breakdown in some way. The idea of strength training Mm -hmm. is to make that cup bigger so that you can do more things in your life, right? And when I'm talking about strength training, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about getting big. I'm not talking about hypertrophy. I'm not talking about endurance either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about how much weight can you pick up in a maximal effort. And I know that that sounds scary to a lot of people, um, which is why when you start a strength training program, it should be too easy for a while. It should feel too easy for a while. And you just gradually add load. And and it should never feel... Um, like you're out of control. Mm-hmm. It should never feel that way. You know, it's it's a gradual thing, and you've just got to commit to it o- over time. Mm-hmm. And a great strength training program shouldn't take... I mean, you should be able to get a good strength training workout in um, twice a week in less than 45 minutes, half an hour even. Yeah. It, and, and there's research that just came out this summer. Yeah. I'm sure everybody's heard of the World Health Organization's, you know, exercise recommendations of... Um you know, I can't remember what it is, 90 minutes of 75 minutes of a vigorous exercise, 150 minutes of moderate exercise. And moderate exercise, in their definition is pretty chill. It's like walking around the block with your dog, right? It's not, it's not <laughs> it's not a lot. But they there was a, a research group that put a study together and they released the results of their study this summer. and they were trying to look at how much exercise do you need to do to reduce, Mortality risk. One hour of aerobic exercise will reduce your mortality risk, and you can't quote me on these numbers by something around 15%. Just one hour of aerobic exercise a week will reduce.
1: Just one hour a week. One hour
0: a week. Wow. Of aerobic exercise, about 15%. You bump that up to three hours, and that risk is reduced by 25% or so. But if you add one to two strength sessions per week. Yeah that reduction goes up to 40%. That's the only change. One to two strength sessions a week. And your it, mortality risk will drop by as much as
1: 40%. Did, now, does, And that those numbers are astounding. Um,
0: yeah. This was a survey of, I think, 150,000 people. And uh-huh. they just said, Do, are you doing strength training? Uh-huh. And those people who were had a much lower mortality risk.
1: And that makes sense. And so it's not necessarily that... You need a specific amount of time for the strength. It's uh, just possibly that aerobic exercise is great. Strength exercise is even better.
0: It's the combination of the two you're really after. Okay. What you really want is to be a well-rounded athletic person.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you know, I, I hesitate to use that term athletic because I think people are too quick to go. Well, I'm not an athlete. I don't need to do what an athlete does, but. But I want people to think about themselves as being athletic. I mean, just going through life requires some athleticism.
2: Yeah.
0: And so, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you look like or, or what it is you're doing. If you're needing to use movement to do it, mm-hmm. then you're moving in some athletic way. And that's that's kind of what I mean by that. So, but yeah, to, to sort of come back to answering your, your question, um, when we talk about mortality risk, we're often talking about injury. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to reduce injury. And this study doesn't even talk about specific kinds of exercises. It just talks about doing strength training and aerobic exercise. It doesn't say you should squat or deadlift.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It just says do something. Now, I'm going to, of course, recommend some specific things if uh-huh. you ask me to. But yeah, um, but yeah. and you know, here's, here's another one that talks specifically about strength and not about aerobic exercise at all a study another study that came out this year was looking at grip strength and its relation to all cause and cardiovascular mortality risk. And the conclusion of this study was that grip strength is a better indicator a reduction in all cause mortality and cardiovascular mortality than blood pressure. Okay. So in other words having having good grip strength is uh-huh. actually more important or has a stronger correlation to longevity than Good blood pressure does.
1: Is that because if you go to fall, you have something to grab onto?
2: It's,
0: that is a great example, okay. right? I mean, if you want to avoid a broken hip and you slip and you can grab onto a handrail, you're much less likely to break a hip, and 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 it's well known that injuries like broken hips, as you as you age, can greatly reduce your your lifespan. Um, it's that simple, you know? I mean, grip strength is is huge, and. So you know how, how much grip strength work do we do? When, when, have oh, we done in our in our sessions? Right, it's like all about grip.
1: Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, so now we've kind of gone over the, the main categories, but could you give me some specific examples? Like we talked about aerobic work, and then um, and then maybe grip strength. Can we say like aerobic work is you know jogging or um, using the ergometer or rower at the gym or some something of that nature. Um, and then for strength, um, I would love for you to expand on movements in a second. But um, what does that look like for um, grip strength specifically? Is there a movement that you think that pretty much anybody could do that would yeah. help that?
0: Well, there are a lot of misconceptions about what strength training is okay. and what it is not. And yeah, so to answer your question, aerobic exercise, yeah, running, walking, cycling, swimming rowing, all of those things. But also, um, if your workout leaves you (laughs) laying on the floor in a puddle of your own sweat, you know, breathing hard, Uh that's not strength training. That's conditioning. And that's more about energy systems and aerobic benefit. Now, you might get stronger if you're deconditioned. That might make you stronger, but that's not what strength training is. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Strength training is heavy loads, low volume. So we're talking about working in 65 to 95% of what a one rep maximum would be in a lift for sets of 1 to 6 repetitions and maybe 3 to 5 sets. So it's high intensity and mm-hmm. it's low volume. Mm-hmm. And it might not even feel like you're getting much of a workout in. You're not going to be you might be breathing a little bit hard at the end of a set, but it's not going to feel like a huge workout because what we're trying to improve here is your nervous system your neuromuscular system not your cardiovascular system right
1: but like you said earlier this isn't necessarily about um, hypertrophy where you're going to get bigger we're not looking for right no we're turning not. into arnold schwarzenegger
0: no in fact um yeah that's one of the biggest questions i get right well i don't want to get big mm-hmm. totally totally mm-hmm. i'm not a big guy i'm 170 pounds 5 foot 10 170 pounds I'm not a big guy. I've been lifting heavy for a long time and I do it every week it's your diet has more to do with your size than your your exercise routine um, so no it's not about that although that is one way to get stronger is to increase the size of your muscles right the cross-sectional size of your muscle mm-hmm. and that's hypertrophy but the other way to get stronger is to improve how effective your nervous system is at recruiting muscle contraction, so motor unit recruitment. Okay. Right? That's get, that gets exercise terminology pretty quick. <laughs> but the idea here is just how, how effective is your body at moving, mm-hmm. right? How effective is your body at moving? And, and this is, when we talk about the kinds of exercises we would do in strength training, mm-hmm. a, a, ask yourself this question. Is the exercise you're choosing about a muscle group or a movement pattern? And this is really important. This is what I'm trying to get at when we talk about health and athleticism and and aging in a way that allows you to play with your kids or grandkids or go on hikes or carry the groceries to your car
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, or walk up the stairs instead of taking the elevator, for example. Right. I, I'm not interested in a bicep curl. I'm interested in a pulling movement, right? Upper body pulling, upper body pushing, lower body pulling and pushing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: not I'm working biceps today, or I'm working pecs and tries today, right? I want you to be working movements, not just muscle groups.
1: I like that. So, and um, so could we make that a little bit more simple? And how, which, are there movements in particular, you know, you say maybe not a bicep curl, what could you do instead that really is more of a functional Yeah. exercise?
0: Great example would be a row, like... Um, uh, an inverted row, or a barbell row, or mm-hmm. cable row, a face pull, they call them face pulls sometimes, pull-ups are mm-hmm. a great example, but pull-ups are really hard, uh, and I generally start people off with rows, um, but you're trying to pick a high-intensity row, like it's, it should be heavy, it should be hard, mm-hmm. you know, it shouldn't be something you can do for 20 times, it should be something you can do five or six times, and that kind of thing. I mean, we're not getting into programming yet, but... Um, but that's the idea right that that exercise
2: mm-hmm.
0: will not only work your biceps it works it in the way that your body wants to use your bicep so when we talk about a movement pattern we're talking about pulling something towards you okay so i'm going to start with big muscles in my core mm-hmm. to, to sort of stabilize my body and i want my lat, latissimus dorsi my lats to fire first and then my biceps to fire and I want them to work in a sequence. Mm -hmm. That's your nervous system being effective. If I just do a bicep curl, I'm not teaching my body how to move in a sequence like that in an athletic way.
1: That makes sense. And I've always traditionally heard that you want an upper body pull, an upper body push, a lower body pull, a lower body push, and then a hinge.
0: So, yeah, you know, I mean, this is stuff that has been popularized by... Um, a well-known strength coach named Dan John, and he has, of course, that stuff's been spread all over the place now. But um, So I would call a hinge and a, and a lower body pull the same thing. So okay. you're talking about a deadlift, for example. That's yeah. sort of the primary example of that. And then a lower body pushing exercise would be a squat or a split squat or a lunge, right? Okay. Um, upper body pulling would be rows, pull-ups, things like that. And there are lots of different variations on these exercises, right? And then a push would be push-ups or bench press or an overhead press, something of that sort. Okay. So that those are those are the four main ones, right? Mm-hmm. Upper body push, upper body pull, lower body push, lower body pull or hinge. Okay. Uh, and then carries. And when we get into grip strength, that's what we're. That's really where we're going. We're going to go quickly. Yeah. Uh, is things like farmers carries. Um, I mean, if you could really only pick one exercise to do, you could do worse than just doing farmer's carries every day. It's picking up the heaviest thing you can carry and carrying it across mm-hmm. the room, you know.
1: Now, that brings me to two questions. The first one is, we did we followed a uh, programming called the Windler for years, and I thought it was great and easy to break down. It yes. touches all of the things that you said. It's. There's low reps, um, and uh, it has a succession of, of percentages for which weights you do. It really, you just kind of do the math, and each week it makes it pretty broken down yep. and easy. Yep. Um, is that something that you would say would be pretty accessible for most
2: people?
0: Yeah. So it's Jim Wendler's 531 program. That's I highly recommend it. It's the, it's the program I use with my high school athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the program we used in CrossFit before we do our CrossFit WODs for years. Yeah. And it's I've worked with many people through it. It's very simple. It's very effective. Once you know the movements and you know the program, you can do it on two days a week in less than half an hour. Right? You warm up. You do superset two exercises, say like a deadlift and a bench press, and or whatever press you're going to choose and then you're done and you get out of there. Yeah. You know, strength training shouldn't be about three hours of work. That's hypertrophy, right? Mm -hmm. That's bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily strength training. And, Uh, but that's, but the the challenge to that program, there are a couple of challenges to that program. One is it tends to lend itself towards barbell movements. Mm -hmm. You can do it with dumbbells too, Mm -hmm. but it needs to be, it's, it's what I would call an intensity based program. Mm -hmm. So the volume of work, doesn't really change you know you're still doing the same repetitions more or less every week but how heavy the implement you're lifting is is what changes so that's in the intensity right um and i i mostly just do four lifts with that you know some variation of deadlift i recommend the romanian deadlift and a front squat of some kind and then with my high school kids we do a bench press and we do a barbell row
1: Oh, I bet they love bench the press. So it's all,
0: it's all barbell work. Yep. Um, but I do a different kind of program for myself. Okay. And that's, I work with kettlebells and body weight a lot. And I do highly recommend kettlebells uh, for people. And they lend themselves more towards what you would call a volume-based program. So I might do a series of exercises like um, a, a goblet squat, Um, kettlebell swings right
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Turkish get-ups or overhead pressing things of that nature and I might not change the weight of the kettlebell but I might change how many repetitions I do that's more volume that's a volume-based program right so the intensity stays the same but the volume changes
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, you could do the same thing with pull-ups for example or even push-ups right so there are, you, you, don't, you don't need a lot of fancy exercises here, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you just need to pick four or five different exercises and you just commit to doing them and you make them tough.
2: Yeah.
0: And programs that I really like are Pavel Satsulin's Simple and Sinister, which is one I think you've done.
2: mm
0: mm-hmm. um, And that's a great example of a very simple program that's, I think, incredibly effective and, and works really well.
1: Now, the, que- the next question I would have, um, because I have coached and I have been an athlete who, who needed some adjustments, how would you f- recommend that somebody find the best way to do these movements if they've never done yeah. a swing and a get-up?
0: Yeah, and this is, this is where there, I think feel like there's a real problem in... education system actually is Mm -hmm. that we don't learn how to do these things when we're in high school for example we have pe classes but we don't actually learn how to use a a gym right or weight room
2: yeah
0: Um, because coaching does become kind of important here Um, finding coaches that will teach you these movements can be a challenge uh, but but it can be done Mm -hmm. Um, there are as far as learning them on your own Mm -hmm. i mean of course you know pavel's Group Strong First has a lot of videos on how to do these things and a lot of articles on how to do them. Um, for as much um, uh, notoriety that CrossFit has, they have an immense volume of of videos and and articles on how to do how to lift well. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of I think CrossFit is judged unfairly and largely, uh, but. Um, but, yeah, it is important to get good coaching mm-hmm. on how to do these movements properly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, everybody's a little different, so not, so so there's no one exact way to do everything. Yeah, Everybody's built differently, you know, um, and so your squat's not going to look exactly like my squat. But the basic movement pattern should be there, and your posture should be there, and you don't want to suddenly be hinging when you're supposed to be squatting, and I see that a lot. Mm. And I see people do too wide of a stance, you know, because they, they need to get their knees out of the way and they don't understand that, you yeah. know, so that so there's coaching that's involved. A great book, however, that I could recommend is a book called uh, Starting Strength by Mark Rippetoe. Fantastic book. Um it's focused around barbell lifts. Okay. But um it it gets pretty in-depth in technique, but it's it's a wonderful book. And you can apply the same technique like a squat is a squat. Mhm. You know, a goblet squat with a kettlebell. Really, the the movement pattern is the same as a low bar back squat with a barbell. it's yep. really pretty much the same. So, uh,
1: finding a book like Starting Strength, yep, or finding a coach, and there's really good coaches out there. It's just there a matter of finding of them, connecting with the, with one, can help you get onto this kind of programming where you're you're. Finding these movements, these um, upper body and lower body push and pull, and then, yeah. um, but really, there is some coaching involved with the farmer carries.
0: Well, you need to be able to pick up a heavy load yeah. safely. Yeah, and that's the challenge. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, finding a coach is, is 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 difficult, and it's not necessarily cheap either. But I don't think you need to commit to a coach for a long period of time, although you might enjoy that. Yeah. Um, just getting to the point where you are learning the exercises is important. But also, you take a video of yourself. Mm. I video myself all the time. I'm looking for to make sure I'm doing it right. It's so hard to
1: watch yourself do um, the movement, and you're like, oh, that looks no, terrible. No.
0: <laughs> but, so if you're able to find a video of somebody who does a lift well, yeah. um, and then you take a video of yourself and you compare it, you can go, yeah. I'm not doing that right, uh-huh. and how do I fix that? So there are a lot of great resources out there to, to find them, you know, um, to, to, to do, to learn technique, yeah.
1: I like that, and I like what you said earlier. I know I can hear in your voice that you're a little bit hesitant with barbell movements, and and, and I am for the accessibility of it, Yeah, because a kettlebell is yeah. so compact. Yeah, You can travel with it, which I have,
0: you can move, you know, you can yep. store
1: it in the corner of your room. It's not this big. You know, you don't have 40 yeah. different weights. It's you great.
0: You can do a workout in a closet. Yeah. There are a lot of benefits to the kettlebell. I'm a huge fan of the kettlebell. And um, um, a big part of it has to do with how simple it is. Uh, but also getting back to that concept of athletic movement.
2: Mm-hmm. Our,
0: our movements aren't what we call bilateral, right? I'm not... Jumping down the road on both feet, I'm walking one foot at a time, right? Uh, almost everything I do involves a unilateral movement where I'm moving one arm, one leg at a time, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to coordinate these things. And the kettlebell is essentially, with the exception of swings, two-handed swings, really, a one-handed tool, mm-hmm. right? When I first learned about kettlebells in... Uh, CrossFit actually doing CrossFit like fifteen years ago. Yeah. And uh and this was so this was me coming down from one of my athletic peaks as a cyclist. Right. I was a for those of you who are cyclists, I was a competitive cat three cyclocrosser and Criterium racer and so I was I was riding really really well. Yeah. Um but I was getting into my mid thirties and I was lifting. I've been lifting weights since the mid eighties. Okay. But I had fallen into the same trap that a lot of people fall into this idea that I didn't want to get big so I was lifting light weights for high repetitions so I really wasn't getting strong yeah. and now in my 30s even though I was a highly competitive athlete I was starting to feel very fragile like easily injured you oh. know so I didn't feel very strong and so I go to do a CrossFit class it's one of my first classes and we do this Turkish get up which is one of my favorite lists now. Yeah. At the time, I was like, what is this? This is insanity, right? And I'm working with a 12-kilo kettlebell.
2: Okay.
0: And it's owning me. Like, I can barely control this kettlebell overhead. Yeah. And I'm looking around at That's people, 26 pounds 26 for, the r- for the rest of us. I'm looking around, and I'm seeing people lift much heavier weight, and I'm realizing I'm just not very strong at all. Right. Oh, like I thought I was strong. Crushing. I'm a competitive athlete, yeah. right? Uh, and I've been lifting weights, but I can't even control this 25 pound weight, oh. and it was hard. That was like, that was eye opening. Wow. And it was also a, you know, of course I took that as a challenge. Uh, okay, this kettlebell is owning me. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get it. You know, I want to own this thing now. And you know, 12 years later, right? Uh, you know, I've done 96 pound Turkish get-ups. the kettlebell right just and that's just 12 years of working on it Mm -hmm. consistently right and yeah i but i didn't really get much bigger right like i am roughly the same size but i'm much stronger and much more able to control load through a wide range of movement and that's kind of what i'm talking about it's one of the things i love about the kettlebell the, the kettlebell um Part of the thing that the kettlebell does that barbells and dumbbells don't do is it changes the angles of a movement. So if I take a bicep curl, right, and I don't particularly care for bicep curls, but it's an easy exercise for everybody to envision. Yeah. And I'm using a dumbbell. So imagine a dumbbell bicep curl. As, 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 the, as the, the movement gets towards the top of my shoulder, right, it gets much easier. gets much easier. Um, because the what what you call a resistance arm, right? The the distance that the 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 load is away from my elbow joint is shorter, right? Yep. Right. If I do that with a kettlebell, the kettlebell is further away from my elbow joint, which means that as I bring the the load towards my shoulder, it's for the same weight, it's going to be a harder lift to do. Uh-huh. And so that's what the kettlebell does. It it actually makes all of the angles your your kinesiology right angles change yep which means that your core has to work harder to stabilize the load all those stabilizing muscles have to work harder to keep the load there and you have to actually work harder to do the same movement mm-hmm. right and when you look at power development like the kettlebell swing has been shown in studies mm-hmm with light loads, like a 35 pound kettlebell swing has been shown to be as effective at or more effective at developing power than jump squats with a barbell at 60% of one rep max. Wow. So what you're talking about here is safety, mm-hmm. right? It's one other benefit of the kettlebell is that you get the same benefits with a lighter load. Mm-hmm. So you get what's called a lighter system load, which means that if I'm getting the same benefits with a lighter load, it's inherently a safer lift, right? So in my mind, it's safer. It's more compact. You can do every movement that you can do with a barbell or a dumbbell with a kettlebell, mm-hmm. and you don't need very many of them. You know, not really. <laughs> well,
1: tell Travis that I have, We have all well, of them. <laughs> I
0: mean, I own a lot of kettlebells. Let's be honest, but <laughs> but the fact is, is that um, you can do a lot with a few kettlebells.
1: And I read. Simple and Sinister years ago which is we're referring to both a book and also a program and so I read the book years ago and they talked about you know if you're a fit female then your the one kettlebell that they would recommend you get is like the 35 pound, the 16 kg I think that was the the max, if you were super fit then maybe you get a 20 or a 24 kg which is 44 and 53 pounds And I remember reading that and thinking that was just obscene because when we did CrossFit classes, all of the females in your class... In fact, I should give a little bit of a story. So you were the crazy people at 5 a.m. and I used to work out at the 6 a.m. and I would come in and I would see you cleaning up and all the females would be cleaning up the red 32 kg kettlebell, which is 72 pounds, 71 pounds. And I just thought you guys were insane. Like, what... You know, and there was no heavier weight for the men to use, so you guys just everybody used that same really heavy weight. And in the other classes, we were somewhere you know, the females were doing the 16 yellows, or the um, maybe the green if it was a purple or the green if it was a big day. Um, and then I started coming to the 5 a.m. class, I changed and I started coming, and you got me on that big heavy weight. So to read. Pavel's book and he's recommending for a fit female that I, that I do a 35 pound. I thought that was kind of insane, but I see, you know, if, if we're talking about adding this movement, these types of movements in, are you sort of in line with Pavel's saying like, Oh, if you had to get one kettlebell.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. remember what I said earlier too, about strength training and starting a strength training program it should feel too easy okay so and also remember what was the first weight of the kettlebell i used in a turkish up it was lighter than that yeah so i i this is another misconception about strength training that i that, that i really want to caution people against it's very easy to do too much too soon mm-hmm. um you know you hit a plateau where you can't lift any heavier weight and you just are banging your head against the same weight and and, and, and often that's because of tendons, not muscles. So your muscles improve much faster than tendons. They have much greater blood flow. Okay. And so really, when we're talking about athletic movement patterns and, and athletic exercises like squatting and swings and presses and pulls, you need to give your tendons a chance to keep up to your muscles. And so being really gradual with your um, improvements is quite important. And even though in that book he recommends a 16-kilo kettlebell or 35-pound kettlebell, I would probably start people lighter. Wow. And make them earn that weight. Mm -hmm. You know, I would start, like, I mean, even though in that class, Mm -hmm. we had women lifting quite heavy kettlebells. They didn't start there. Yeah. They didn't start there. They started light and worked their way up. Yeah. And that's, you, you were just seeing people who had worked their way up.
2: Yeah
1: and yeah. i'm sure i jumped too fast because i saw the other Cause people right? cuz that's amber yes <laughs> right like well if you can do it i can do it heavier
0: well i did put, i did encourage it Yeah. you know but I, but i also was careful about it mm-hmm. i didn't just if somebody didn't couldn't control their movements i didn't throw a heavy kettlebell at them this I, is you know
1: that is one thing i miss i remember i would be doing a, some workout and in the middle of the workout you would come and you would say, you wouldn't say anything you would just set a kettlebell right next to me, <laughs> which meant this is the weight you should be using. And most of the time I feel like it was a little bit heavier and most I would just cry a little bit inside. <laughs> or you would give me a lighter one like, hey, you might not be doing this movement right. Let's kind of work on
2: yeah.
1: some foundational yeah. stuff.
0: And I, I I truly do miss that. I... That is a thing that a coach provides. Um, and... Um, is something worth pursuing, right? Mm-hmm. But um, justifying that expense can be hard for people. I mean, you know, I don't want to get into what people's priorities should be, you know, because that's not fair.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Um, you know, for me, health is probably the most important priority, but I also, it's, it's an easy sell. Yeah. I mean, I was a, high school athlete, I was a college athlete, I was a semi-pro athlete after college, and so I love that stuff. But also, I have type 1 diabetes. You know, we haven't talked about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the average lifespan of a type 1 diabetic is 66, and I'd like to live longer than that. Yeah. Frankly, that's that's all there is to it. And so, being fit, mind you, because by definition, I'm not healthy. Right? Mm. Being fit is one of the ways that I can counteract my lack of health, right, as a type 1 diabetic. So as we age, we need to be aware that um, cardiovascular health is important, and Mm -hmm. how do we achieve that? Muscular health is important, how do we achieve that? I just explained that the the importance of grip strength, Mm -hmm. right? You're not going to get grip strength, you know, going for a run or uh, riding a bike Mm -hmm. or rowing, maybe a little bit more rowing, but... (laughs) Or swimming, right? Um, you're going to get grip strength by lifting heavy objects and carrying them because it's hard. Yeah. You know? And, uh, in fact, I can give you an example. Okay. Even your listeners can do this on the radio. Right? Okay. right? About how uh, uh, where they can really illustrate uh, what grip strength training can do for you. So and I'm sure we've done this in class. It's, it's a concept called irradiation. So I'm going to have your listeners do Don't do this if you're driving. Is... Hold your hand out in front of you. Just relax. Hold your hand out in front of you. And then make a a fist without tension. Just kind of curl your fingers in. And just relax. Sit up tall. Good posture now, right? Or stand up tall. (laughs) be even better. And then what I want you to do is just gradually squeeze that fist harder and harder and harder. And squeeze it even harder. White knuckle grip. Squeeze it as hard as you possibly can. And what I want you to feel is the tension spreading through your arm. It goes from your fist now to your elbow, into your upper arm, all the way up into your shoulder and your back. Yeah. Right? That whole quarter of your body is now engaged if you're squeezing hard enough. Oh. Right? Wow. And then release it. And you'll just feel that relaxation. That's grip strength training. Yeah. That's what heavy carries do for you. That's what picking up heavy objects and trying to control them does for you. Right? Yeah. And... You don't get that from aerobic exercise. You only get that from strength training, and that's what we're looking for. Mm. That's the concept we're looking for: is you're working very hard, yeah, but for a very brief time,
1: and in low repetitions. So, all in all, it sounds like two days a week strength training.
0: Yeah, two days a week should do it. The what Jim Wendler's five-three program, five-three-one program, is is can be done in two days. Yeah. Um, for the book itself is is great, uh, and I highly recommend it. One cautionary tale about a lot of the books you might buy about strength training—they they, they all create characters, right? And, yeah. And Pavel's this Russian dude, and he compares everything to firearms for some reason. And uh, you know Jim Wendler is you know his books for powerlifters. It is, mm-hmm. and so you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of masculine talk in that book, but. The information is gold. Um, mm. Starting Strength is an amazing textbook on form. Yeah, I highly recommend it for people who really want to get into form. But um, but these books are great, and they have fantastic programs, and they're really well established programs. Um, and for Jim Wendler's, yeah, like what we do with my what I do with high school kids is a Romanian deadlift off the bar, mm-hmm. off the off the rack with a barbell, a front squat. With a barbell, um, a barbell row, and a bench press, four lifts, and you can do those in two days if you combine them into what's called a Mm superset, and and you're done. You're done. Simple and Sinister, you've you've done the program. How long is is the workout?
1: 21 and a half minutes.
0: Yep. And how many times a week does that program, is that a a five-day-a-week program? You know,
1: I haven't read the book in a while. I used to do it once a week or twice a week. okay. And it would kind of fit in to my routine I would do and you know maybe we should say with the strength I do I actually do two days a week and then I do a deload of my strength I'm on a different program that you also signed me up for (laughs) so Ian convinced me about five or six years ago that I should become an SFG Kettlebell Instructor.
0: Yeah, the Strong First, yes.
1: Yep, Strong First Kettlebell Instructor. And so I went in and I, and in order to take this certification, you basically have to have already mastered the movements. Yeah. It is an intense class. It was three days and they even yelled at you if you started eating in the middle of it, which <laughs> I, know, I, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I, they are pretty, they're pretty intense. It is Pavel's um, uh, baby is Strong First, and it's a great program, and it taught me a lot, but I also needed to know all the movements prior to that. So I became a Strong First uh, kettlebell instructor, and I am certified in that, and I, I do love that you did that. And as part of that program, they actually have something called the Iron Maiden and the Beast Tamer. Iron Maiden is the female version, the Beast Tamer is the male version. It's the same three movements, Um, a weighted pull-up, a military press, and then a weighted pistol squat. And those three movements, which all sound terrible, and they are, (laughs) are for the female weight, it's the 24 kg, which is 53 pounds. And for the male weight, it's double that. um, And it's uh, 106 pounds or 48 kg. So I didn't know what this entailed five or however many years ago. I could look it up. But you said, you should try for this. And I thought, why not? Yeah. So five years later, fast forward, I am still doing those three movements yeah. two to three times a week. So I do two days of those movements. Um, I do a mid-weight and a, and a heavy weight. And then I do a deload day. And mm-hmm. I space those those three out. So I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. In the middle, I do a VO2 max day, which is—I um, yeah, don't know if you could simplify that and say that it's aerobic training in some capacity. Yeah,
0: it. So VO2 max training is a form of aerobic training. Yeah. Um, it's what you might call. Well, there's different different people use different terms for it, but you've got sort of easy aerobic training, right, which is long, slow runs, for example, and then you've got intense aerobic training which you might call uh, lactate threshold training or VO2 max training. And this is more high-intensity interval work, Mm -hmm. which uh, is exactly what it sounds like running faster and then having a rest. And it's actually very similar to what you do in a weight room, right? You have a a repetition that you do, and then you have a recovery period. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, yeah, yeah.
1: I and so I've incorporated that. That's on my Tuesdays, mm-hmm. and by the end of the week, I'm usually trash. And so don't say that.
0: We're, inc- <laughs> we're trying to encourage people here.
1: Just from the the life yeah. of you know on on Friday evening, I people want to go out and hang out and have fun, and I'm just exhausted yeah. from the week. But. Uh, Saturday morning I get up and I want to do something so I do what my zone 2 run. It's yeah. a slow
0: run. Yeah. I breathe through my Conversation nose. Position pace, yeah. Yep. You should be able to breathe through your nose, yeah.
1: And then I feel a a ton more energy and I feel yep. kind of relaxed after that run. And then and then I have two rest days in there. And all of those things have been encouraged by you and if I would have known 5 <laughs> years ago that it was going to take me 5 years for this program, I don't know that I would have done it. Yeah. But I have to say, I've heard, you know, before people say, "Oh, I wish, I, you know, I, I wish I was done with this, and I want to be over this this challenge." But here's the thing: if I'm gonna show up Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and do some form of strength anyway, I might as well be doing pull-up and pistol and press. Yeah,
0: I might as well do press. Th- this is, to be honest, this is the hardest part about getting strong. It's committing to a program. And sticking with it, even mm-hmm. when you're bored, when you feel like you've, you know, it's it's interesting to me that people will get into yoga, mm-hmm. and I love yoga, right? And I've done a lot of yoga, yeah, but they will um, work on the same basic movements for really long periods of time, and you can. And you, I mean, it happens all the time, right? I just want to get a little better at my crow or, you know, whatever difficult movement that that we sometimes do in our yoga classes. Yeah. Um, I would encourage people to take that same mindset. In fact, I try to encourage people to think about lifting heavy weight as loaded yoga. Mm. It's a movement pattern Mm -hmm. that we're trying to excel at. Lifting heavy involves a lot of skill. It's not just grunting through a heavy load. It's actually learning how to move really well Mm
2: -hmm.
0: with a heavy resistance it's really very similar to yoga and so if you're doing yoga and you go yeah i've been working on yoga for years and i'm getting better every year it's exactly the same thing that i would have you think about when getting into strength training and trying to master these lifts think about it in a long-term way um you know dan john talks about it all the time it's not what you do today or this week or this month is what you're doing in 20 years
2: mm-hmm.
0: how long does it take a tree to grow mm-hmm. you know you, 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 it can be a tough pill to swallow
2: yeah
0: but if you know if you want further convincing right um, once we reach the age of 20 oh, gosh. <laughs> our bodies <laughs> will start to lose between a half pound and a pound of muscle mass every year for the rest of our lives. So if you are one of these people, or you know one of these people who shows up at their 20th high school reunion wearing the same size clothes they were in high school and talking about, hey, I'm the same size and weight I was in high school and I haven't exercised a day, but they've probably lost as much as 20 pounds of lean muscle Wow. and their body composition is very different, Wow. right? You can only keep that muscle mass if you put a real effort into keeping it. There's a great book called Fast After 50, and yeah, it's geared towards endurance athletes, but don't be, you know, Mm -hmm. I I can give you the summary of this, right? And he did, he looked at all of the research on staying athletic as you age. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And the three main contributors to a loss of athleticism as you age are a reduction in aerobic capacity. And I don't you know, even though we're talking about strength training, I encourage people to go out and do those long zone two runs or bike rides or swims or whatever it is they like to do. Yeah. Hikes. Yeah, go do go do mm-hmm. go hike, please. Um, but also increased fat, body fat, and decreased lean muscle mass. And those two are pretty much the two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. So we're really wanting balance in our fitness. We want to be doing aerobic exercise, but we really need to be doing strength training Mm. to maintain our health, right? Mm -hmm. Think about that grip strength research. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, there's as much research on the importance of lean muscle mass for longevity as there is cardiovascular health.
1: I really like that. And I think everything you've laid out, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And it's a matter of, you know, getting the movements, getting a limited number of movements and keeping the reps low and really working through and, and focusing on form and doing that a couple times a week. And it's as if you're adding into, I think of a lot of things in this way, into a retirement program. Yeah. What you do now is adding into this retirement yeah. program that you yeah. will cash in on in 20 or more years. And can you be rolling around on the ground with your grandkids? Um, I It's been... This year has been um, kind of eye-opening. This, lot, this past year has been eye-opening for me, l- working a lot with longevity and learning about mitochondria and fasting and all of these things. I've done quite a right. bit of research on these different pieces, and it helped me wrap my head around, you know, when you're, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, and probably even in your 40s, you think, well, in some capacity, I am invincible, I can, I'm, I'm not going to be that type of person that has a, a bum hip and can't walk and can't go on a hike with my yeah. kids in 25 years, but then the stuff starts to break down, and yeah. then you realize, I'm not invincible, and so now this has become more and more important. And I've always been b- pretty good about the workout routine. That's who I am naturally, but I'm seeing more importance in it. Yeah. And to keep, you know, like I said, it's not it's not easy. You know, sometimes you wake up and you're like, oh, I don't want to oh, get up yeah. and do
0: it. This morning, for example. Yeah.
1: It's cold out, (laughs) it's dark, there's a million reasons why, and I I did a uh, post on Instagram not too long ago about this, like, just put your running shoes, or just put your workout clothes, yes, you're going to feel silly sitting around your house in workout clothes when you know you were going to work out, just put them on, wake up and put them on, and for me, I work out in the morning, I'm sure that's true for other people at different times of the day, but you know it's not it's not easy but it is simple and and once you get that simple routine you just do it yeah i don't even think about it monday i wake up i know exactly what to do i look at my spreadsheet i'm there i go
0: it it, yeah it is difficult um and it is important to try to find exercise that you're excited by Mm. but um i mean any exercise is better than no exercise but um i just think that the value of strength training can't be understated i think it's it's critical for your nervous system health for your muscular health for your bone health all the way around I think for your confidence for your just belief in yourself I think it's huge mm-hmm. um, stress relief stress relief yeah, it's yeah. Big.
1: no I I think this is super valuable Ian and I appreciate mm-hmm. you breaking down all of these little pieces and um, as I mentioned before we started recording, I don't think there's one conversation that you and I have ever had that I don't think any, someone else could benefit from yeah. just because you are just an incredible wealth of knowledge in so many arenas and especially in this one and I super appreciate that. Um, is there anything that I did not touch on that you would like to add in here? I've got copious notes on even just this conversation that we had. Um, or would you like for me to skip on to the the question I have? <laughs> Personal question well, I have. Well,
0: I think um, I think I probably rambled on about strength enough, but maybe if uh, if you want, we could do another one on what an actual program looks like. We can I talk about that. movements too. Okay. If if that's of interest, but yeah, I think, go ahead, go for the ask the question.
1: I think that would be great as a follow up. I, I like making all of these little things accessible to anybody yeah. listening yeah so. I,
0: I want that too you know exercise in my mind is medicine yeah. like I said at the beginning yeah and kind of spread it out spread it around you know
1: um so thank you for showing up before sure. we before we t- sign off I would love yep. to ask I ask everybody what is your favorite skincare product
0: <laughs> yeah alright <laughs> here it is um it is body shop hemp hand cream oh <laughs>
1: I just dyed a little bit inside. <laughs> and do you use it on your body and your face? No, just my hands. At oh, just Before your hands. I go to sleep. Perfect. Okay, that makes me
0: feel better. It's hand cream. It's amber. hand
1: cream. <laughs> hey, there is no judgment here. I used yeah. toothpaste on my face when I was younger because so I thought
0: it would work. I am one of those whose knuckles split open. Oh. Right in the winter especially. Yeah. And I have tried a host of different things. Yep. And this is the only one, as you can see, that got keeps my hands from cracking open. Yeah. It's the only one.
1: You do not have fifty-year-old hands, Ian. They look mm. wonderful. Thank so it's you. working. <laughs> so there's there's your tip from from <laughs> Ian. Don't use it on your face. That's what I initially thought you I were saying. I didn't say that.
0: But I, I only use it on my hands. Yes. Phew. Phew. I know. Oh. I have a kid who's very sensitive to the to the lotions that I use on my you know, and they're appalled too. <laughs> You use body lotion on your face.
2: Oh, God. You
0: shouldn't be doing that. Good. But they have lotions for nighttime and daytime. Yep.
1: And, oh, my gosh. I totally support them in their efforts. I'm all about simplicity
0: <laughs> in my life, so.
2: <laughs>
0: That's great. Yeah.
1: Well, there it is. this has been invaluable. Thank you so much for showing up, Ian. Yeah. And I would love to have some follow-up conversations where we can talk more about specific movements and programming yeah. and that all would that. Be great. But I think this was so robust and yet accessible, and I appreciate that.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This was fun. This was fun.
1: I so appreciate you joining today. Thank you for tuning in. I am grateful to have been able to touch base with Ian Ramsey and have him touch on some accessible concepts with strength. And he's been such a key proponent in my fitness world over the last decade. And it has made such a positive impact in how my body moves and responds inside my industry, outside in personal and play. And I really hope that some of this messaging can also be applied in your world. If you do resonate with some of the messaging in this podcast, I would just love if you could share it with friends or family. So much of the reason behind this podcast for me is really based on the idea that I think our health is so much more accessible and there are activities and mindsets that we can take on on a daily basis that can help us achieve more health and really gain control of some of these areas of our lives. And I think strength is a big piece of that and it is absolutely near and dear to my heart and I am so grateful that Ian could be on today. Thank you for tuning in, I truly appreciate your time. Have a wonderful day.